0: is a record of what was witnessed on the Sunday following Jesus' death on Good Friday. It's from Matthew chapter twenty eight verses one to fifteen, which is on page nine hundred and ninety nine in the Black Bibles in the Pews <clears throat> Pardon me. Matthew twenty eight verses one to fifteen, page nine hundred and ninety nine. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say... His disciples came during the night and stole him while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day.
1: Thank you, Bruce. It's lovely to be here. I mean, if you can't, if you can't be in Melbourne on Easter Monday, the next, place, next best place to be is probably Manly. Isn't that right? Yes, of course it is. So it's great to be here. Let me pray. And then I'll ask God to speak to us uh, on this resurrection morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, that you are here uh, by your son. You're here with us because he's risen. And we pray today, you'll, we'll hear not the voice of um, some guy from Melbourne, but hear the voice of God. And we pray you'll open our ears and our hearts to see the risen Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. From time to time, I receive an email uh, like this one I got some years ago from a guy called Mr. Marcus Wolfgang Esquire from Hartwig Chambers, who are solicitors in London, writing to me on behalf of the late Edwin Gabriel. Now, I've never heard of Edwin Gabriel or I think met him, but he apparently has met me and was impressed by me it seems, because he's made me a beneficiary of his will. And I've inherited, I'm told by the email, $5.1 million. Now that's a, that's a great email to receive, 5 million bucks. Just give the guy all my bank details, I've got 5 million bucks. I'm told that Edwin Gabriel is a member of the Helicopter Society, the Institute of Electronic and Electrical Engineers, and a famous philanthropist who's given away money to millions. Now, whether you can be famous and anonymous together, but I googled Edwin Gabriel, (laughs) and there's no record of him, which he shares in common with uh, the Helicopter Society, the Institute of Electronic Engineers, and indeed, big Chambers, they're completely invisible anywhere on the World Wide Web. But hey, why quibble? I mean, five million bucks, is five million bucks, right? A month later, I got another, this is a great month for me. Another letter from Sir William Penn. Writing to me in a confidential and private matter. So I shouldn't be sharing it with you today, packed who I don't know. But hey, you look honest, I'll, I'll share it with you. He's writing on behalf of a Japanese man who died last year in a plane crash, leaving funds unclaimed by any beneficiary. And if I give him my bank details, he'll give me 30% of the, wait for it, Twenty no, $52 million. That comes in at $16.5 million bucks. So add that to the 5.1 from Edwin Gabriel... That's 21 million bucks in a month. So I said to Mr. William Penn, I said, please contact my solicitor. His name is (laughs) Mr. Marcus Wolfgang Esquire (laughs) from Hartwick Chambers, London, who handles all my affairs. Now, I did with this what you do with these things. It went straight to the trash ban in in my mailbox because I've learned, as you have, If something sounds too good to be true, it's because it is too good to be true. And out there are con men and con women who prey upon gullible folk, greedy folk, who want instant fortune or a cure for AIDS or a six week health program to look like Brad Pitt for 50 bucks, and they believe it. And they believe it. And go away, of course, disappointed, angry, and broke well here's my question today is that Christianity a great scam to prey upon gullible people who want nothing more than to be told you will live forever in paradise when you're young you think you're invisible invincible invincible invincible. when you're my age you know you're not We're getting older. And to be told by a faith, believe in me, you'll rise again and live forever. Is it a great scam? Is it too good to be true? Well, this day, Resurrection Day, says it's not. That we can be confident that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and we will too. Let's look at Matthew's account in Matthew 28, it's a great event. Just a background. As we say, previously on 24, <laughs> previously on My Kitchen Rules, previously in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus has come to Jerusalem. He's been arrested. He's been tried with at a kangaroo court, a mock trial. He's been accused of blasphemy. He's been executed. He's been buried. It's now the third day. It's Sunday morning. And Two women, both called Mary, head to the tomb very early. Now you might think, ah, because they've they've been told by him he'll rise again. They've gone there to to greet their victorious saviour. They've gone there to beat the rush of all the disciples to greet their all-conquering, death-conquering king. Well, no, that's not what's happened. No one thought that day that what would happen did happen. No one. The last you heard of the disciples was the end of chapter 26. And Matthew simply says, And they all deserted him and ran away. Does that sound like men who are expecting a resurrection? (laughs) Hardly. Hardly. And the women? We last met them at the tomb. They'd buried Jesus. They were just disconsolate. They were shattered, broken, desperate. And they've come back that morning to just to, to pay respects to their, their dead hero. In fact, so, they're so shattered, they've forgotten there's a great big stone over the tomb, and they can't get in. See, no one thought that day, the Jewish leaders, even Jesus' closest friends, no one thought that day that he would conquer death. It was the furthest thing from their minds. He's dead. It's all over. Just another messianic flash in the pan. the gates of hell had prevailed. Once again, as a million times in history, evil had triumphed over good, it was over. Verse 2. Suddenly. Suddenly. In the twinkling of an eye. In a flesh. Everything changes. For all time the earth begins to shake. The stone is dislodged from the tomb and an angel appears. I just come back from Turkey. I was in Ephesus last week in a hotel there and woke in the morning at four o'clock to an earthquake, just 4.6, not a big one, but enough to wake me up and give me a few kind of scary moments. And the women are terrified. They're scared. They're scared. And then they hear words... That blow their mind. They're told, he is not here. Don't hang around here, ladies. There's nothing for you now. Nothing to stay for. Go, he's not here. It's empty. It's very common for people to to visit the shrines of their dead heroes and messiahs. You you can go to Mecca and see there the tomb where they've laid Muhammad. I've just been in Ephesus. I went to the Basilica of St. John. Where, you can, where there are apparently the, the, the bones of St. John, the apostle. I went to Mary's house, Jesus' mother, in Ephesus, where she spent her last years. You can see it. You can go to Moscow and see the glass coffin where they keep Lenin. You can see his corpse there. Apparently he didn't want to be immortalized, but people insisted that there in it is. You can join the queue and see Lenin, But you can't go to Jesus' grave. You can't see his bones. Now, what, why not? Because he's not there. Because, you see, an empty tomb is an irrelevance. Because after the third day, no one ever went there again. They knew where it was, but they never went there. There's no point in going there because the tomb was empty and an empty tomb is an irrelevance. The message gives us three reasons why we can believe the resurrection. Number one, he says this, he hears the words, He is not here, for he has been resurrected, just as he said. You can believe it because he said so. He said it again and again and again. He said, after three days, I will rise. Now, I think his friends thought he meant, well, on on the last day. At the Great Resurrection, then he'd No one thought he meant, on a Sunday morning in April, I'll walk out of a tomb more alive than you are. And he said it, and I believe it. Now I, 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 I tend to believe people. They tell me something. I, tell, yeah. I flew in last night from Melbourne at seven thirty, and Max said, "I'll be there to meet you." And I believed him. I, I didn't book a taxi. I just I thought, yeah, Max is on a sky. He'll be there, and he was there. I believed him. Now, of course, sometimes folks lie or forget. Well, the car breaks down. But Jesus does not lie. And when he speaks, he does what he says. He said to a lame man, Get up and walk. And the man began to walk. He said to a storm, Be still. And it became calm. He said to a little girl, 12 years old, who was dead, little girl, arise. And she arose. She got up. When he speaks, it's done. This man tells the truth. He told them again and again, I'll be arrested. They'll kill me. And after three days, I will rise. Just as he said it happened. Number two, suddenly Jesus met them and said, good morning. They've heard the, felt the earthquake, seen the angel, heard the news, and they're freaking. They're freaking. I think that they're shaking their sandals, but at the same time, they're, they're just blown away by the whole thing. They're excited. And, the, and, the, and they they race off to meet the disciples, and they meet in the way Jesus. And I love his opening words. He just says, as we see, he just says, g'day. Like, like and it's another day. He meets them, and they touch him. Because, you see, it's not, it's not a mirage. It's not a vision. It's not a hallucination. It's not their troubled minds, their confused minds playing tricks on them. He is real. And they touch him and talk with him and go off. And tell the disciples. And Matthew knows that they and we wouldn't believe them. When they say to the disciples, hey, guess what, guys? We see the angel, and guess what? He's risen. In fact, Luke says this. But they did not believe the women. Because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Until Jesus appeared to them. Because God knew that they would think and we would think it didn't happen. He knew we'd be sceptical. He knew we'd say, oh, look, dead people don't rise. He knew we'd say, uh, oh, it's just wishful thinking. He knew we'd say, well, let's get on with life as if nothing happened." He knew that. So he appeared to them physically again and again and spoke with them and ate with them and touched them. He said he'd rise, he appeared again and again, and thirdly, says Matthew, and all of explanations are a lie. He tells about the guards. I love Matthew's irony here. There are the guards sent to guard the tomb, and Matthew tells us they shook and became like dead men, which I guess in the cemetery is kind of appropriate, but the man they're guarding is not a dead man, but the ones guiding him become like corpses. And they race off, and who are the world's first evangelists to tell the world he's not there? The very ones put by the tomb to stop that happening. And they come to the Jews and they say, he's not there. And the Jews, I think, almost seem to believe them. They don't interrogate them. They don't say, well, did you check inside? Did you really see an angel? Did Did you still see the disciples? Did you check? And they don't say the most obvious thing. They don't say, go back now and bring the body and bring it here and stuff out any nonsense that he's written. They don't do the most obvious thing. Instead, they just do what they did with Judas and they bribe them to tell the lie that the disciples stole the body and the lie persists until today when to disprove the resurrection would have been the easiest thing in the world. Just go to the tomb, get that body and bring it here. So when people say he's risen, we can say no, he's not, there he is. But they didn't because they couldn't Because the tomb was empty and Jesus Christ had risen. What's uh, Sherlock Holmes' famous dictum? If you read uh, Holmes or watch Benedict Cumberbatch, once you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, no matter how improbable, must be the truth. It's impossible that Jesus, who was tortured to near death, could revive and pretend to be alive and well. It's impossible the disciples stole the body. It's impossible it was wishful thinking that they were prepared to die for. It's impossible he only rose metaphorically. No. He said he would rise. He appeared... Again and again, Jesus Christ conquered death and rose from the dead bodily. Well, um, so what? Let me say three things. His resurrection confirms what we all have always known. And that is that death is not the end. When Philip Hughes dies, we say he's now playing the test in heaven. When John Lennon dies or Janis Joplin, they're having a great gig in heaven. We all, every people of every culture of every age have always had a ritual to mark the passing of the soul from death to life. We just know instinctively this is not the end. C.S. Lewis once said famously, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. I would add, so do women, but men feel sexual desire. Well, there's such a thing as sex. If I find in in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. God has given us all an irresistible desire to rise from the dead and live forever because he made us for another world. You were made for heaven. You were made to live with him forever. You were made to one day be immortal. That explains all our deep desires. Number two. His resurrection tells us that all human judgments about Christ are to be trusted. The Jews killed him because he claimed to be God's Son. The disciples are just confused. He said, I'm God's son. By raising him, God said, yes, he is. He's my son. He claimed to be the world's savior. God now says, yes, he is. His death forgives your sins. He said to a thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. And God now says, yes, you will, thief. Yes, you will, Mike. Mike. Yes, you will, Bruce Naomi. Yes, you will. By raising him, God has spoken. Said this man is true and to be believed. And finally, I want to say, if this is all true and it is, the implications for our world and for you and me are massive. If Jesus conquered death, then all he said in life is to be believed. All he said about what life's about. About how we should live and love one another. About what should be important in life. If he conquered, that's why I'm a Christian. That's why I went to Pakistan. That's That's why I do what I do, because I believe this man. When he says this, I believe it because he conquered death. If this is true... For every man and woman, there's no more important, no more crucial, no more needful thing than to follow Jesus. The Apostle Paul wrote and said, If you confess with your lips that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, Then you will be saved. I heard a story of a a Muslim who became a Christian, and his friends, as you can imagine, became very upset, his family very upset, and they said, why have you done this? Why have you turned your back on our family, our faith, our culture, our religion? Why have you done this? He said, well, imagine you're walking down a road, and you come to a fork in the road, and there there are two paths you can take and you're not sure which path to take. And by the fork are two men. One is dead and one is alive. Which one would you ask to show you the way? One man alone in history conquered death. That man alone shows me the way. The way to live now and the way to live forever. Now I don't know any of you really, apart from two or three. Um, I'll assume that many of you say to this as we're saying, Amen, Amen, Amen. Yes, I'm following Jesus. I want to say to you, keep following him. Don't leave that path you're on the winning side. Keep with him all the way through death to paradise. If you say today, well, I'm just here because it's, well, it's Easter and I like, we do, we do that on Easter morning. We walk the course, I drop it at church and that's, it's just a nice thing to do on Easter morning and that's it. I want to say that this event can and should change your life forever. This event can give you a purpose for living. Because it says God has a bigger agenda than you can imagine. It's to build God's kingdom. This event can give you all a reason to get up in the morning. And what's more, this event can give you a firm confidence that when you die, through all the tears, there will be, there'll be joy because you too will go through death, through that cupboard into Narnia and live forever. It'd be great if this wasn't just for you another Easter Sunday, but it could be for you the most important Easter Sunday of your life, for of all the choices you make in life, where to live, who to marry, what to do, there is nothing, nothing more important than this one, for this one alone has eternal ramifications. Jesus says to us all today, no matter our backgrounds, today you'll be with me in paradise. And God said, yes, because I raised him from the dead. I'm going to pray now and um, invite you to pray with me. And um, maybe this prayer will be your prayer, where you confess and believe. Let's pray together. And then after the service, there'll be people, I think, around who you can talk to about, about uh, this so important life-changing moment. I don't want to label the point, but it's worth labeling the point, really. I mean To leave here today and not know when you die what's going to happen would just be a tragedy when this gives us certain hope. Let me pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that by your mighty power on that third day you raised your son, Jesus, from the dead and he walked out of that tomb fully alive thank you for those who met him and touched him and spoke with him and worshipped him and today we worship Jesus Father we confess with our lips that Jesus Christ is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead thank you because of that that we will be saved, that we too will conquer death and live forever in the kingdom you have prepared for us from the beginning of time. We pray this in the strong and victorious name of the risen Jesus. Amen.